Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in again today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6 today, or if you have your device, go ahead and connect to Luke chapter 6 on your Bible app. We're going to be looking at this teaching on judging and condemning, forgiving, and giving. It's a part of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount that on the Mount that Jesus gave us, and so we're going to be looking at this uh, pretty intently today. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now he also said a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, then you will clearly, you'll see clearly to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. So this is some pretty good teaching here. A lot of mis, misquoted misuse of, of this teaching. So I want to make it very clear today. So you, you follow along. If you need an outline, you can go to fbcclover.life. There's a sermon outline there. Or I think there might be one posted uh, below this. So Jesus includes a set of imperatives here in, in verse 37 and 38. The first one is don't judge. Now, our culture loves this verse, don't judge. They use this verse to silence any negative or uh, a critical reaction given, given to their decisions and actions that, that are wrong. You know, you, you say, hey, you got to stop that, man. That's, gonna, that's not good for you. That, God, that's, God's not going to be pleased with that. And what's their, what's their immediate answer? Because they know this verse, don't judge me. Our culture says that about anything and everything. Drawn to the negative attention that um, that you know that people want to do, uh, anything that draws negatively or any kind of negative attention to that is is wrongful judgment in their eyes. But Jesus doesn't imply that all judgment is is wrong. In fact, in the full account of the Sermon on the Mount that's that's listed in Matthew in Matthew seven six, he says, "Do not give dogs what is sacred, nor." Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Then in 7.15, he says, Watch out for false prophets. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So clearly, there has to be some judgment. There has to be a judgment call here uh, on some things. So, uh, I mean, how are you going to identify false prophets without judging their their prophecies, right? I mean, then Jesus says in in verse 24, stop in in John 7.24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Now, now that would tell us that there are wrong types of judgments and, and right types of judgments because he says in two different places, don't judge lest you be judged and stop judging 
uh, by appearances, but judge correctly. So evidently there are right types of judgments and wrong types of judgments. Some right types of judgments are, uh, are, well, a righteous judgment. You know, that's one that's based on God's Word. It's not just your opinion, it's God's Word. Second is is compassionate judgment. That's a right type of judgment. That's a judgment giving out of love for someone else because you're really interested in their well-being. You want them to have the blessings of God. Another type of right judgment would be merciful judgment. That's giving for the purposes of restoration, not pushing away, but pulling towards yourself. Now, there's wrong types of judgments as well, like superficial judgments. Those are that, that, that's a, a quick judgment without knowing all the facts. Uh, self-righteous judgment, that's when you judge someone else just to make yourself look, look, uh, look better. Then there's harsh judgment. That's judgment with no mercy, no compassion whatsoever. There's untrue judgment. Uh, that's just meant to harm someone else's reputation. But the context here is hypocritical judgment. Now, this is a, another type of of wrong judgment. Hypocritical judgment is passing judgment on someone else um, when when you are guilty of having the same unconfessed sin. Uh, unconfessed is the big word here. You, you don't have the spiritual ability to judge someone for the same sins that you are committing right now. But you do, however, have, uh, it, it seems like we have scriptural responsibility to warn other people about the seriousness of their actions once that we've dealt with that uh, in our lives, and once we see that they're ready to hear it, they have to be ready to hear it. That's what that 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 verse, casting your pearls before swine, means. They got to be ready to receive that. They got to see where there's some value there. And if you're if you're calling out a sin that you are committing right now, if you call out a sin in someone else's life that you're struggling with right now, they are going to call you a hypocrite. Plain and simple, they're going to call you a hypocrite, and you will be a hypocrite. You must explain that Jesus uh, has shown you the dangers of such a sin after you've been forgiven, and and to tell them that you're concerned about them. You share what Jesus, uh, the victories that Jesus has in your life, and then you share with them. So don't practice hypocritical judgment because you'll be held accountable for your judgment. That's imperative number one. Imperative number two, don't condemn. The purest sense of this word means to pronounce guilty and sentence. That's condemnation. The Bible says that the, the church should condemn sin, not people, but sin. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed uh, from among you. For though abstinent in the body, I am present in spirit, and if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. That is harsh. That is harsh, but that's for the betterment of this person. 
And just as we learned that we can judge rightly and wrongly, we also need to understand that that condemnation can be done rightly and wrongly. Righteous condemnation is always temporary. It's a temporary condemnation of an action until it ceases. And then you should embrace that person. It has the hope of correction in mind. After all, listen, we hate our children's rebellion, right? We hate it. And while it exists, we're going to discipline them. You know, there, there might be some grounding, might be a little spanking. But because we hate that rebellion, we condemn rebellion. I mean, you've been found guilty of breaking curfew and you're grounded until you can live within the rules of this house. We've, we've said that before. I mean, think about it. Your child will never be able to hold a job as long as he or she thinks that the company runs on when they chose to show up. Nobody, no company operates that way. So correction is is in mind when you're doing this type of condemnation. It's condemnation of sin in hopes for a correction in people that we care about. But wrong condemnation... Wrong condemnation is is eternal condemnation of a person without any mercy. It only has um, punishment in mind. I mean, we say, we might be tempted to say, you know, God hates greed. We will never condone it. And not only that, because you've been greedy, you cannot be a a part of our church forever. And on top of that, you're going to burn in hell forever. That is wrong condemnation. It's wrong condemnation. So, you, so we know that there's correct and incorrect ways to handle condemnation. And if you can't tell the difference, all right, this, this, is, this is really good. Listen to this. If you can't tell the difference between the two, whether you're doing it correctly or incorrectly, just ask yourself this one simple question. Does this form of condemnation really hurt me? We use it as a joke, but the old adage that this is going to hurt me more than you is true if you're practicing right condemnation. It should hurt you because you love that person. You don't want them to hurt. You don't want them to be separated from the family, right? That's righteous condemnation. So if you find yourself in a situation where condemnation is an option, don't do it unless restoration is the goal. The third imperative, forgive others. That word forgive means to set free or to let go, to pardon. In this context of this passage, this means to let someone off the hook of punishment when they, when they obviously are deserving of it. Yeah, they sinned, you caught them in it, they're guilty, they deserve to be punished, but you let them go anyway. Now, this is not a, just a simple turning, turning the head to, to some kind of wrongdoing. I mean, that, we don't want to be blindly doing this, but we want to show... Uh, we want to show forgiveness like Christ forgave us. Well, how did, how did Christ forgive you? I mean, think about it. Will, will there be those in heaven who lived their whole lives in opposition to God and His law, who, who rejected Jesus and His gift, and God will say, Oh, that's all right. Come on in anyway. No, the Bible does not teach that at all. There's, there's parts of, of confession that are real, so that forgiveness can take place. 1 John 1, 9 says confession of sin is, is needed. We, we have to confess our sins to be forgiven. Acts three nineteen. Repentance of sins is needed. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. See, so confession, repentance, those are all very important parts of, 
of what someone needs to have in their heart to be forgiven. So how do we forgive people? Well, when they have those things, we forgive them. We forgive people when they ask for it with a true heart wanting to make things right. And you say, well, how often do I need to forgive them? They've let me down over and over and over. Well, let me remind you of a conversation between Peter and Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. Peter said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said, no. I say to you, seven times 77. Or I I say to you, seven times, not seven times, but 77 times. Sorry, got that mixed up. Jesus, that means every time. Jesus will always forgive those who ask them. We should do the same when those things are in place. Confession and repentance. We practice forgiveness like we receive it from Jesus. The fourth imperative is to give. Now, we covered this a little bit earlier this year, but let's look at it again real briefly. We are given abundance to bless others in the name of and for the glory of God. If we do this right, if if we get this right, the recipient will at least hear about the benevolence of God. Maybe they will even respond to God favorably, maybe even for salvation, but... But at least they will hear it. Now notice the reciprocal nature of of this giving. Give, and it will be given to you. How? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be poured into your lap? This is a great measuring verbal picture here. You know, you go to the, you go next door and say, "Hey, can I cup? Can I borrow a cup of flour?" And you give them a cup of flour, and then when they return it, man, they fill it up and they pack it down, and and be sure they give you the full cup. Uh, you know, I'll give you a full cup a little bit later if, if you just let me borrow some flour today. Now, I know that this has played out in, in our church. I know that you have been giving uh, for years. Many of you have been giving for years to all of our mission offerings, you know, to Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, Janie Chapman, World Hunger, You've been given to Martha Franks. Uh, you, you've been given over and over. You gave to um, Orphanage Emanuel and Samaritan's Purse and, and all of the mission trips that we go on, um, you know, Honduras, Peru, Africa, India, Turkey, uh, all over the United States. And you gave. Man, you gave. Remember the reciprocal nature of such giving. Now look at our church's budget during this pandemic. We missed lots of weeks of church, which means we didn't pass the plate. And yet, we are, we are very close to being on budget. Even with all of those, those Sundays that we had off or we couldn't pass the plate because we were, we were uh, nervous about the germs, right? And yet, we still are paying all the bills and we're still able to bless others in our community with benevolence, with you know, turning the lights on and heat on and air conditioning on, we're still able to do those things. That's the, 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 the reciprocal nature of, of giving. That's, that's the point of this imperative. Giving, ex, giving uh, expecting nothing, but then receiving a blessing from, from the Lord. All right, so that's the four imperatives. Well, well Why? Why judge rightly? Why condemn rightly? Why, why give and forgive rightly? It's not enough for a lot of people for Jesus to say, because I know what's best and do it. Why do we need to do this? 
Well, let me just remind you that all Christians will sit before the, the Bema seat of Christ. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll be, our lives will be put to the test. Our sins will not come up because they've been dealt with on the cross, but our actions will go through a test, whether our motives were pure or impure. And if they were impure, they're going to burn up. But if they were pure, we're going to be rewarded. So take this teaching in mind. How you judged will be judged. What and how you condemned will be brought up. How you forgave, that's going to come out in the examination. And how you gave will dictate some of the rewards that you will be assigned. This is the teaching of Christ. And then he uses the parable in verse 39. He also told them a parable. Can a blind, uh, can a, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Look, if, if the blind are leading the blind through this world, then everyone involves in great danger. Even the people who aren't blind or leading the blind, they could, be de- they could be harmed too. Someone has to look out for the pit. Someone has to look out for the trap, for the things that will hurt people in this world. And he said this to teach us that there's, there has to be someone who's able to make the judgment calls about some behaviors or some actions um, that that will help humanity to avoid that pit, to avoid the danger. There has to be someone not affected by alcoholism to warn others about alcoholism, whether they've personally experienced it or not. At this point, someone needs to stand up for that. Someone has to condemn sin, or how will the world who is blind to the truth of God know that it is sin? Listen, some of you were upset last week. You felt I was picking on one sin more than another, and let me, let me just go ahead and clarify this today. Last week, I, I spoke and called, put light on the sin of homosexuality. And some of you are upset that I was picking on that one sin and not others. Well, let me tell you why. Homosexuality is the first legalized sin that the government is forcing the Christian community to validate. We... we Listen, we're not forced to accept abortion or drunkenness or idolatry or even to validate those things. We're, we're, we're asked to turn a blind eye to them, but homosexuality is different. It's different. People are uh, uh, pastors and business leaders who are standing up for biblical principles and, and will not cower or bow down to uh, the homosexual propaganda or being called into court called into court. So I must speak of that sin. Listen, if someone does not say that sin is sin, then the world will never know that some behavior is unacceptable to God. It just won't. It's the blind leading the blind. There's a second part to that parable. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Someone has to teach. Someone has to lead in this learning effort. If, if forgiveness is to happen, someone needs to teach and lead in practicing forgiveness. If giving is something that God desires for us to do, someone has to teach and lead and practice giving. Our problem, the problem with people in those days and the problem with people these days is that there are people trying to teach and lead in things that they really don't, that they don't know. They need to be learning them themselves. The truth is they're not ready to teach and to lead. Because 
They have sin in their lives. And that leads to the questions that Jesus asked in verse 41 and 42. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? In other words, how can you see their sin and miss your own? You can see the little sin in somebody else's, but you can't see the big sin in your own? How can you deal with their sin and not deal with your own? So then he uses the phrase everyone likes to use. You hypocrite. You hypocrite. Notice what follows. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Yeah, hypocrisy ends a person's ability to speak, no doubt. Uh, hypocrisy ends a person's ability to speak on any subject, um, in any situation. So that drives us back to the imperatives. Judge, condemn, forgive, and give. We have to deal with our sin. There, there are two reasons why Christians are afraid to judge and condemn, by the way. That one is they don't want to be a hypocrite. It's in their lives. They haven't dealt with it. They don't want to be a hypocrite. Or secondly, they just don't care. It doesn't bother them that others are at best living out from under the blessings of God or at worst going to hell. They just don't care. Likewise, there are two reasons why Christians are quick to forgive and give. They feel better about themselves when they do. And secondly, they're grateful for the blessings and forgiveness that has been given to them. Now, Christians are generally better at giving and forgiving than judging and condemning, and that's because of undealt with sin in our lives. And Jesus says, deal with your own sin. Deal with your own sin. Why? Because people need help with theirs. So avoid hypocrisy by dealing with your sin. They, They need someone that can show them that that sin can be beaten. They need that. Uh, we're, we're to love people enough to, to warn them and, and help them. Don't be afraid of being the, the only person at the party who can, who can see clearly. Without you, it would be the blind leading the blind. Don't be afraid of being that only one in the party who, who can see what is happening and call attention and shed light on the things that are wrong. Love people enough to warn and help them. And finally, treat treat people the way that Jesus treats you. That's what he says. Treat people the way I'm treating you. Jesus gives and he forgives. Jesus offers mercy and a chance at no eternal condemnation. Jesus offers judgment that is just because he paid the price for sin. Look, Greg said last week that the Sermon on the Mount was, was a charge to these new apostles. And if that's the case, and I believe it is, then the main part of this sermon is disciples need to deal with their own sin so that they will be free to judge rightly, condemn sin, forgive others, and give for the glory of God. My question for you is, how are you doing with this? Are you able to judge rightly? Are you able to condemn sin without being a hypocrite? How are you doing with your forgiving How are you doing with your giving? All of those things are important in the life of of a disciple. Look, Jesus died for sin. 
It's a big deal. It's a serious thing. Jesus died for sin. The Bible says that that everyone who sinned, uh, well, the wages of sin is is death. Someone had to die. Jesus died for sin. Have you trusted him for that for the salvation that he's offering you? If not, you, you need to trust him. Just tell him. Admit that you're a sinner. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn towards him and, and promise to live for the glory of his name. If you will say that in a prayer and you mean it with your heart, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look, if that's you, pray this right now. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I admit to you I've done things that are wrong. And I don't want to do them anymore. So please forgive me. Help me to live right. I'll try to live for your glory. But save me for heaven's sake. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you did that, the Holy Spirit entered you. you are, your name is written in His book and you are saved. But you still have to fight sin, which is why we have 1 John 1.9. You, just because you're saved didn't mean that you shed this flesh which is full of sin. So first John for, uh, one nine is a gift to us if if we sin he's faithful and just to if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness from now on every time you sin you turn to God and say God I'm I'm sorry for that thank you for saving me and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do better I'm gonna do better and you will get better Christian is there sin in your life that's keeping you from from, from judging correctly, condemning sin, from giving and forgiving? Deal with your sin. Don't point to the world. Deal with your sin, and then you'll be free to speak into, into those situations. Well, thanks for listening today. I, I hope this is helpful to you. I, I learned a lot in, this, in, in studying for this sermon. Look, if you'd like to talk, just send me an email, mike at fbcclover.com. I'll be glad to talk with you about anything and anytime. I'll have another teaching for you next uh, next week, so tune back in for that as well. If you'd like to come to church with us, we're, we worship at 117 South Main Street in Clover, South Carolina. We worship at 830, 945, and 11. Plenty of room to uh, spread out, so you come and worship with us. Until then, be blessed. Have a great day. Remember, Jesus is pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time. Be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.